Portions of this podcast may not be suitable for children. It's real-life stories and sometimes PG-13. A broken heart is easily tuned to the frequency of God. John Gray. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Hear true life stories, catch good vibes, and be inspired by engaging messages. On this show, we'll think twice about life, faith, and just what could be possible when the two are united. Broadcasting from the beautiful Great Lakes state of pure Michigan, here's your host, Dan Henderson. Hello, thank you for listening. Today's show is entitled The Hard Cases, and we will hear some harrowing stories of people who we might say were dealt a bad hand. Stories of loss, hardship, and pain. But it's not all bad news. These terrible tragedies have forged these people into some incredible victors. But before we get to these stories, I wanted to let you know this is the last episode of our third season. We want to thank Hashtag Gospel for their short gospel illustrations. They were invaluable to this show. Make sure to check them out at HashtagGospel.com. That's H-A-S-H-T-A-G Gospel.com. Follow them on social media and share their work. I also want to thank Pastor Bill Leach for our Bottle of Bill's Wisdom segment. I know Pastor Leach personally, and he's just one of those people that everyone wants to be around. He's the real deal. Thank you, Pastor Leach. He will be back with us for Season 4, along with some new segments, including Modern Parables, Short Allegorical Tales of Wisdom, and we'll have a second segment, Heavyweights of the Faith, Brief Biographies of Great Believers Who Reached Inconceivable Accomplishments in Their Lifetime. Now that we got that out of the way, let's get right into our first story. I guess it started when I was 10 years old. Uh, my mom uh, committed suicide on Christmas Day. And um, after then, I was just kind of never really was taught anything about who God was. And I was sitting there in just the thought process and just thinking of, like, why should I believe in God? Like, when he would take my only mother, and I really don't want to believe in hell because that just seems like it really is, just sucks. So, um, I just, I don't know, I I had no idea. I didn't know what it meant to believe in God or the devil. So the only person I knew to ask uh, was my father. So I ended up walking into the kitchen and I asked him, I was like, you know, Dad, what what does it mean when you don't believe in God or the devil? And he was like, son, it means you're atheist. Just don't tell your grandmother. (laughs) So, and that was pretty much the end of that. And then after that, I was just, that was it. I had no thought of God. I had no thought of the devil. I was just... It was just nothing, just me living, and that's pretty much just where that was. My dad had remarried. Um, We had moved to a uh, different part of Houston, uh, the south side of Houston, which was a pretty bad neighborhood and a pretty bad area. And uh, I ended up getting uh, jumped a couple of times from walking to the schoolyard to my house every other afternoon to where uh, really just got fed up with it and had no choice but to uh, join them and end up uh, joining a gang and just getting into trouble and just doing really, really just stupid stuff from breaking into houses to drinking and just partying and just messing up. I just remember this night, my, my buddy asked me to go to his, uh, his girlfriend's house to hang out with him. And so we brought the whole group over and we're all hanging out. And uh, I remember walking upstairs um, 
and just looking over to a room and this little Avril Lavigne punk rock chick was sitting there reading the Bible and I didn't really understand it at all. Um, so I really wanted to know. I think that my heart really was just, you know, what's, why is this girl reading the Bible and, and what's this all about? So I asked her, I was like, why do you, you know, why do you read the Bible? And she was like, you know, do you want to talk about it? And I was like, yeah. So we ended up going downstairs in the living room away from everybody. And now she pretty much gave me her testimony about how she, you know, came to accept Christ in her life. And she was, as she was reading this book, I don't even remember what was going on. All I remember is feeling is just my heart really accepting that Jesus was my Lord and Savior and that my whole body was just fleshed out with the Holy Spirit. All my sins, everything was just gone. It's all about being real. It's about being truthful and it's not trying to put on a front um, and it's not being about uh, how religious you could be. It's just about that, you know, we know who Jesus is. We know who he is in our lives and that we accept that. I think it's amazing. But it wasn't exactly what I thought you know, to become a Christian, that everything was gonna be awesome and peachy and, and beautiful. Sometimes it gets dark and sometimes it gets light. I just know that God's my healer through anything. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Come see us at thinktwicetv.com. Uh, Kevin left work at 1.30. One, um, the, the lady that was the drunk driver, she was taking her friend home, was driving so badly that she was scaring her friend, and um, they made her pull over. And there was people following that was less intoxicated, and one of them drove the rest of the way to her friend's house. And when that person got out of the vehicle, they didn't turn the vehicle off, take the keys or anything, and she just climbed over into the driver's seat and drove away. And she got on Highway 153 at Jersey Pike on the wrong side and drove over four miles, uh, almost hitting three other people um, before she hit Kevin. Uh, gash all the way down his face. Um, his eye sockets were even broken. He was just very, very badly broken. And I heard the words as I was praying come out of my mouth, God, I forgive her for what she's done to our family. And, and in my head, I'm thinking, wait, what are you saying? But in my heart, I knew this is what I have to do to be able to get my prayers answered because, you know, the Bible says if you have anything against someone, you forgive them and then, you know, your prayers will be answered. And so I couldn't afford not to forgive. And uh, I had family members that were very um, upset with me for that. Um, but at that point, it wasn't about them. It was about me and my relationship, and it was about Kevin. And so at that point, we started going through the process of making the decisions for organ donation, which was a very grueling, uh, intense time. And. Um, I left the hospital and uh, without my son. We started the, the court process. All the family were able to go in this room with her and um, sit across from her and be able to tell her the, our feelings and what you know her irresponsibility getting behind the wheel intoxicated had done to our family. I showed her um, pictures of him in the hospital, uh, pictures from the wreck. Um, I played an audio of 
um, one of my voicemails that I had saved from Kevin. He, he just loved friends and family and having fun. That was his, his main thing, let's have fun. And um, he had actually even gone to the bank. He was gonna start his own gaming cafe because he wanted a place for kids to be able to come and have a safe place to play and hang out. And uh, Just two weeks prior to uh, his wreck, I looked at her and I said, you know, the main thing that I want you to know is that I forgive you. And I heard God say to me, offer your help to her. You know, because for 10 years prior to this, we had been in prison ministry and, you know, teaching people how to change your life and how to be able to walk this life out with God. And I was like, and I'm having this conversation with God in my head, and I'm like, really, God, seriously? <laughs> and um, he said, offer your help. And I said, okay. And so I looked at her and I said, um, you know, I would like to be the person to help you, to be the, the person that God created you to be and to find out who that is, if you'll let me. And she you know, shook her head, yes, that she would like that. Um, and then God said, now go hug her. <laughs> I thought, wow, this is really, really stepping out there. And um, so I thought, you know, I'm gonna be obedient because if I'm obedient, God can do way more with this than I could ever imagine. And so um, I asked her, I said, can I hug you? And she shook her head and we got up and walked toward each other and we hugged and we just hugged and cried and cried and cried and cried. And she just kept saying over and over and over, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I was one of the ones that spoke for her at her parole hearing. And um, I started, uh, started my, my speech, what I wanted to say to the parole board with, you know, I'm guilty of murder too. And the person that, that I killed, his father, forgave me and welcomed me into his family. And so who am I to, uh, to not extend that same forgiveness to her and, and forgive her? And, um, you know, and that person was Jesus. I'm responsible for his death. And, uh, and his father forgave me, loved me, and, um, and accepted me as family. Share the experience of our incredible true life stories at thinktwicetv.com forward slash our stories. I remember um, walking uh, on a bridge in New York City and, and uh, hearing uh, an evil presence or voice and looking over that bridge and just saying jump like you know jump it'll be all over and um, I know this now as a counselor but I know that was just a lot of the hurt just kind of being exhibited. I was uh, about six or seven years old and uh, they start uh, you know touching you and, and, and making you touch them and uh, it really uh, shocks the, the far out of you. You, you feel dirty, uh, you feel confused and at the same time, you um, do feel uh, at fault sometimes because you you're feeling you're feeling good sometimes, and uh, as far as and don't really understand, um, like I said, sexuality in its context at that age. As I got older and started studying counseling, um, I was uh, able to confront 
the perpetrator uh, face to face and um, and I said this I remember saying and I think it was a release for me I said uh, I'm a whole lot bigger now and um, and I know that you have kids now and uh, of course when I confronted this person they started denying it and of course I was just real detailistic I went I said this happened you would you remember we were in the bathroom or we were here are you you gave me a candy you told me this is normal and it's not and I remember uh, you making me take a shower afterwards I, I remember all those things and I said the reason I'm coming out because it's a burden being lifted off of me number one and because you have kids because I love your kids and if you ever touch your kids the way you hurt me uh, I wish I could tell him that I, I blessed him but uh, I basically just want him to know uh, I know what you did to me and it was wrong um, but what you did to me is not going to keep me down it hurt me it affected um, my identity my, gave me some struggles uh, of uh, as far as uh, sexuality is concerned um, what to believe how to believe and so forth uh, a lot of anger hostility so I needed to to forgive him and I remember the conversation because um, I told him even if you don't ask for forgiveness um, I'm forgiving you anyway I, I left there feeling good but I felt confused as well because the person that was supposed to love me uh, of course hurt me you want them to say well I'm sorry you know, and of course, at that moment, it, it didn't happen. But a few weeks down the road, they pulled me aside and and they said that they were sorry after thinking about it. And so I think after me uh, letting this person know I'm not here to hurt you, I'm here to let you know that I forgive you, uh, that as tough as it is for me, I love you and that I want you to get well. Life, hope, and truth for Generation Now. This is Hashtag Gospel. Relevant, inspiring, and straight to the point. The gospel and what it means for us. This is a car. Its primary function is to drive. If you remove the spoiler, it's still a car. If you take out the radio, the wipers, the headlights, even the windshield, it's still a car. But if you take off the wheels, then suddenly you no longer have a car. It's just a big block of metal, plastic, and glass. Without the wheels, it can't do the thing it was made to do because you've stripped it of its essence. So what is the essence of Christianity? What is the one thing at the heart of the divine rescue plan? Tim Keller once wrote, the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like Jesus' teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. The essence of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus. All of Christianity hangs on this event, all of Jesus' divinity and authority. It all comes back to the resurrection. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he was not God. He was a man just like anyone else, and he's no more divine than anyone else who's been dead for 2,000 years. But if he did come back from the dead, then he did something that no one else has done and that only God could do. Without the resurrection, his death was brutal and tragic, 
but it was not special. Without the resurrection, there is no power in his sacrifice to forgive our debt and defeat death. But if he defeated death, then he truly has the power and authority to forgive our sins and offer us life after death. This is the gospel. This is Hashtag Gospel. View each message as an amazing animated video at HashtagGospel.com. It's time for a bottle of Bill's Wisdom, a short, single-serving message of wisdom from our friend, Pastor Bill Leach. When we become a Christian, we don't suffer less, we suffer more. We feel people's pain, we, we feel our own problems and issues and, and that distresses us and we don't want that to be in our lives and we mourn over that and we want God to help us and to set us free. And so we, we feel pain, we become more aware, we become sensitive, but at the same time when sorrow kicks in, there's also a joy that's present that over, ultimately overwhelms the sadness. It's like an internal furnace. When it, when it drops, the temperature drops to a certain degree, whatever the thermostat set on it, it causes the furnace to kick in. And when the heat comes out, the heat overwhelms the cold. Sorrow drives us closer to God, and when we dig deeper in Him, joy kicks in, and the joy overwhelms the pain. Remember what happened to Job. You know, all these problems come crushing in. He rips his clothes. He pours ashes on his head. He hits the dirty cries out. But the Bible says a remarkable thing about Job. It says, in all of this, Job sinned not. Experienced sorrow. He experienced crush. Experienced all those things, but, but he didn't sin. Deep sorrow, deep pain, deep anguish are not incompatible with joy. They overlap. But joy is permanent and deep. In verse 22, Jesus says, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Real joy is not subject to circumstances. No person, no situation, no event can take away your joy. If our joy is grounded in Jesus, uh, if, we, if we don't find our security, our identity, our sense of happiness in anything else, then we're okay because God doesn't change. He, he thunders in Malachi 3, 6, I the Lord do not change. God is immutable. He, he never changes, and yet his mercies are new every morning. People change. The stock market changes. Our health changes. Our career may change. And if we base our happiness on happenings, if we base our self-worth, if we base our contentment on circumstances, our joy will be fickle. It will come and go depending on the moment. Joy is really produced in Christ. That means our joy comes from the degree that we are obeying Jesus, knowing Jesus, experiencing Jesus. Now remember, again, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. God loves us. He wants the best for us. He knows the best for us. He rejoices in bringing his best into our lives. So when we are following what he wants for us, 
when we're following his principles, when we're obeying his commandments, when we're seeking him, when we're following his wisdom, obeying his principles, we fulfill his loving dreams and hopes for us. Obedience produces a clear conscience in us. We're bold and we're happier than secular people, even though we suffer more than they do. Because we know our sins are forgiven. We're not worried if people discover the worst about us because we're clean. We're accepted. All that's in the past. Therefore, Jesus teaches in John 15, verses 10 and 11, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, our Lord intercedes in verse 18, greatest Statement of mission that I know in the scriptures. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Jesus came as a missionary, and he sends all of us as missionaries. But one of the results of being sent is found a few verses before. He says, I am coming to you now, to the Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Jesus came joyfully to earth. He endured the shame, the cross, all the rest because of the joy set before him. And when you and I are on mission, we experience joy. You know one thing I've noticed? Every missionary I know has joy. Now they, they go through suffering, they go through struggles, they go through issues. When, we use, when we're using our gifts to glorify God, even though at times it's, it's frustrating and, and you know, people you know, don't respond the way we want and, all, and, and hardships and all the rest, but when we're using our gifts, it fills us with joy. When we know we're in the center of God's will, doing what he wants us to do, it fills us with joy. So how do we experience joy? We seek God. We love God. We obey God. We serve him. We use our gifts to build his kingdom. We, we do all that we can to glorify him, and, it, and we experience joy. Listen to this great quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offering of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Christians have a different kind of grief. We, we rub our hope of the future, our hope of salvation into our grief, like rubbing salt into a wound to keep it from going bad. The salt stings, but it keeps it from going sour, from becoming infected. It's the following of Him, which is the essential point. Follow Him, go to Him, and you will receive joy. It will creep up on you. It'll turn over from the drudgery eventually if you follow Him. That's the essential point. Go to Him, and He will give you a joy that no one can take from you. The stories we heard today remind me of my dad's story, the Reverend Rudy Henderson. He was born into poverty in a border town in South Texas. 
I later learned from my aunt that you could see through the slat walls in their tiny shack of a home. From there, things got worse when his mother died of cancer. His father, being an unstable yet functioning alcoholic, was in no condition to raise a son. So he was shuffled from home to home. He felt lost in this world until finding Jesus in a small church in Michigan. From then on, his life changed. By applying the principles of Jesus, wisdom, honesty, and hard work, he began to forge his own path. He met my mother, they soon married and began a church and family. As a kid, I saw him work a full-time job, run a church and ministry, go to night school, and run a small business. His life wasn't perfect, and neither was he. But not once did he ever blame his struggles on his hardships, racism, or other so-called privileged individuals. He just kept moving forward, working, building, and praising God. Now, I don't want to paint a picture that his life was somehow perfect after coming to faith. On the contrary, it was a mountain climb. Make some progress, slip and fall back, hanging on for dear life. Climb again, as your footing crumbles, you cling to the rock. Eventually, he reached the apex, working as a manager of media production at the Michigan State Senate. He also founded Media Messengers and the Lansing Bless Fest. He came a long way from a shack near the U.S.-Mexico border. You can hear his full story on episode 17, Remembering Rudy. Another story I love is episode 12, Redemption of a Renegade. It's my friend Daniel's story. He was a former biker gang member, but he also suffered throughout his life even to the point of having his own mother hold a gun to his face while kicking him out of their family. His struggle to find faith took many twists and turns, but thankfully, he found the truth. There's a scripture that I have found to be true during my own trials and tribulations. It comes from Psalm 34:18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you're hurting, call out to the one that knows you best, your creator, your maker, Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for listening. Head back and check out any episodes that you may have missed while we reload for the upcoming season four. Thanks again. We'll catch you next time. This project is sponsored by Media Messengers Evangelistic Association, revealing the love and power of God through media. MediaMessengers.org. If you like the show, follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at MMessengers, on Instagram at Media Messengers, or subscribe to our growing YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media Messengers. And please, please, Help us reach more people by sharing this podcast. Lastly, check the show notes for links and resources. God bless.